cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. exciting episode of the fire and water podcast the official podcast of firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.net i am one of your hosts rob kelly creator of the aquaman shrine and as you might have guessed shag is not here again this week but he is here in spirit and in audio form in terms of this is a bifurcated episode we're calling it the five-star nuclear sub spectacular because it features appearances by no less than five other nuclear subs mike gillis Aaron Bias, Russell Burbage, Professor Alan Middleton, and bringing up the rear, Michael Bailey. Uh, these were recorded, these three different segments were recorded in different times. One uh, was a couple of weeks ago where I sat down with Mike Gillis to talk about comic book continuity. Another section is when Shag was out in Ohio and he visited the Three Stooges. And then the final segment is uh, was recorded at the Dragon Con, 2014 Dragon Con. Uh, we thought we would put all these little bits together and make sort of one big fun guest starry episode. Uh, so instead of coming back at the end, I'm just going to do all the plugs here. Go visit us at aquamanshrine.net, firestonevan.com. If you want to send us an email, it's firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. So enjoy these guest stars. We know uh, we certainly did. And uh, until the next episode, fan the flame and ride the wave. We're going to have a very fun discussion about continuity. Uh, it'll, be oh. more, it'll be more fun than it sounds, just from the way I said it. Uh, but first, we want to thank our sponsor, In Stock Trades. Uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping of four, four orders of $50 or more. Mike, you have a selection. What are you going to recommend? Yes, actually, I want to recommend Jonah Hex, Welcome to Paradise. This is a collection of the classic Hex stories from the 70s that introduced him. And if you've ever wanted to read a comic about an anti-hero, he's just really mean <laughs> and full of these moments that give you this mix of like, oh, my God, and laughter. This is the series to read. This is a hero who at one point kicks an old woman in a wheelchair off a cliff. <laughs> now, to be fair, she was pointing a shotgun at him at the time. So I wasn't that in the was, movie. 
Yeah, that should have been the movie. <laughs> there should have been any of the stuff in this trade should have been the Jonah Hex movie. Yep. It collects his first appearance in All-Star Western 10, Weird Western Tales 14, 17, 22, 26, 29, and 30, as well as Jonah Hex 2 and 4. So this is a good spread and a kind of a best of a greatest hits track of the classic Jonah Hex stories. It normally retails for $17.99 in stock trades, has it 42% off at $10.43. It's got writing by John Albano and Michael Fleischer, art by Tony DeZuniga and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his Praise name. Be his name. <laughs> this is amazing, and seriously, if you don't buy this trade, I will kick your wheelchair off a cliff. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my selection, uh, well, and we'll, the, the reason why I picked this one will be apparent later on in the episode. I, pre- I picked Showcase Presents Batman and the Outsiders, Volume 1, Trade Paperback. Everybody knows I love this book. I don't care, Siskoid, what you say. I love it. It collects Batman and the Outsiders 1 through 19, Brave and the Bull 200, and New Teen Titans number 16. The writer is, of course, Mike W. Barr with a little bit of more Wolfman thrown in. Artist Jim Aparo, George Perez, Bill Willingham, and others. Page count 552 pages of Jim Aparo goodness. Normal price $16.99. In stock trades price is $9.85. That is 42% off. I love this book. It's just tons of fun. Pick it up. And uh, so, yeah, you can't get can't beat that. 552 pages for $10. Uh, for these and other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for their support. As I said at the top of the show, we are discussing continuity. And this is kind of a different thing because normally, you know, for episodes, we're talking about a specific comic or, or a character. But here we're kind of picking just a topic. And this was Mike's idea. Mike pitched it to me, and I was like, oh, this is great. I, I love that idea. And we're just going to kind of talk about continuity as it – I mean, of course, before we even start, we should mention – this is superhero comics limited, obviously, because regular comics, comics that deal with all other types of genres, they don't bother with continuity. It's really endemic to superheroes, uh, for the most part, of, of being strict continuity. You know, being being sort of in a lot of ways stuck to you know having to follow what came before. And we're just going to just sort of kick it around a little and see, like, is it important? Does it does it make comics worse, better? You know, whatever. How, how does it impact how you're reading comics and your enjoyment of comics? So um, in terms of, you know, superhero comics, uh, my opinion has always been about continuity is, you know, you need to have some semblance of a consistency from month to month. I find a lot of superhero comics now, even me, and I've been reading them for 35 years now, I find a lot of superhero comics virtually impenetrable. Oh yeah, because they're just so wrapped up in their story in, in what in the two years that have gone before, and you know, um, previous episodes we uh, of the show we talked. To, we, I did the interview with Alan Brennert. Like Alan Brennert, his stories leave the characters in the same place he found them. He puts them through something, but he doesn't blow them up. Or at the same time, you don't have to really have read. Like you could read a Batman comic that he wrote. And understand it without having read much other Batman comics beforehand. And yeah, I think you know, there's something about that I think is valuable. Oh yeah, I think on a weird level, and I think a much larger scale, uh, the mainstream books still do that, but they don't necessarily contain it in one creative team run. Like, how long was Spider-Man recently possessed, essentially, by Doctor Octopus? And now they did eventually leave him where they found him. But that lasted for not just one issue, but several years. Wow. So, but the problem is that during those several years, if somebody who just saw the Amazing Spider-Man movie 
wants to go buy a Spider-Man comic and they pop in and suddenly like, what the hell is going on? And it's a little bit weird. And the idea that this character who everyone's grandmother knows suddenly, uh, unless you have to go back and either do internet homework or go back and read probably the last year and a half. And that's being really conservative about sometimes how often you have to go back and read stuff. The book is strictly, as you said, impenetrable. It becomes impossible to understand, even for someone like us. Like, just a couple of years ago, I got excited because Rick Remender was going to be writing Secret Avengers, and they were using characters like the Beast and Captain Britain and Valkyrie and a lot of these second-tier C-list characters that I just love. I love those kind of characters, which is why things like the Defenders have always been one of my favorites. Oh, me too. And uh, the Giffen Justice League is full of those kinds of... I guess you could say they're not the bricks of the universe that they're in, but they're the mortar. They're the stuff that <laughs> gives it a real sense of personality. And I love those kind of characters, so I'm excited that... It's an interesting look on these kind of characters, these C-list characters, like Hawkeye's in it, and I'm like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see this. Oh, there's an Ant-Man in it. And it's great for, like, two different story arcs. And then suddenly, I'm in the middle of a crossover that I did not, um, I did not opt into. I suddenly, half the characters are gone, and I need to read extra comics to understand the comics I'm already reading. And... That's a problem because that's the stuff that makes me just go, you know what, you know, if you're going to do these big stories, have them do kind of like uh, Secret Wars, where Secret Wars was sort of happening in its own miniseries. And maybe you'd get a panel or two that would reference it, but it wouldn't hijack a book and basically knock somebody out of the momentum they had going. And the need that we're sort of pulling these comics into specific eras, like one of the real crimes, I think, uh, looking back in retrospect, is that Brian Michael Bendis's run on the Avengers, which is a great run and really helped redefine it, and I think helped start the momentum that led to the Avengers being just as big of a franchise as the X-Men. And I think may have even helped start the ball rolling on what led to the movie, building the popularity of these characters. And that run is almost impenetrable to a non-comics fan. And even to a lot of comics fans, who don't immediately understand that to understand the Michael Bendis run, you have to understand the context for the Marvel Universe in which it took place. That you have to go, okay, why is Norman Osborn wearing a suit and bossing people around? I didn't see the beginning of that story, and I didn't see the end. Just for like a year, he seems to be Nick Fury, and then he's just gone. And it's kind of stuff like that where most TV shows do use, like you said, that internal consistency. There's an internal continuity that things hold on from story to story, but they don't require you to watch other TV shows. And even in a show like Lost, Lost is probably one of the most continuity-heavy nerd shows. That's why we loved it so much. That anyone's ever made. Yet, I didn't have to go, oh, okay, well, who's this Jack guy? Oh, he was a doctor on ER a couple years ago. And when he's referencing that, okay, maybe I have to go watch some episodes of ER that he's on. And Oh, Hurley used to be on uh, Franklin and Bash. <laughs> And he was a character on there. So I have to go watch some of that. It, and then occasionally the entire storyline of Lost has to stop because the network is going to say, oh, we're going to have a Martian invasion that's going to happen on all our shows on this network. And we're going to stop everything. And you have to watch this other miniseries to see the beginning and end of that story. So suddenly there's Martians one week, they're gone, no explanation. And I think that the best thing you can do to bring more people into comics, because the, the love of these kinds of characters, of superheroics, 
of things like Batman and Captain America and Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman and all these characters, and yeah, maybe even Firestorm. Um, <laughs> th- that's at an all-time high. People love these characters. I mean, T-shirt sales and action figures and all this stuff. Cartoons do so much better than the comics, but the comics sort of make themselves impenetrable almost by design. They put up this fence and say, no, we still belong to the people who've been here forever. Even though there's great stories happening here, we're not going to share them with other people. And I think that they're really kind of pushing away people who could be great new fans and also great new creators in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a second, but you just mentioned Lost. Uh, I never watched that show. I've never seen it. Uh, I was sort of vaguely interested. And then I remember at the time, I think during the first or second season, they put out a book, a, no- yeah. a novel written by one of the characters, I guess. And so it's like they were pretending that one of the characters in Lost wrote a book, but then the book it really existed, that you could purchase it. And I remember seeing that book and thinking, I have to read a whole other book just to just to understand what's going on in Lost. And then, like any chance I had of ever watching that show just went out the window. I was like, oh, yeah. forget it. I'm like, yeah, good. I can't just watch a friggin' TV show. I got to now buy a book and follow. And they, they were talking about it. there was a website you had to go to. And I was like, oh, never mind. You know, oh, I got yeah. better things to do with of- my time than this. There was a ton of expanded universe stuff that you kind of had to pull into. They weren't necessary, but there's a lot of answers and mysteries and stuff for the series that only got answered in those extra bits. Yeah. So, I mean, that was one of the things. There's also the other one is that there's a big lie at the heart of the show Lost, which is that they knew where it was going. Right. They made it up as they went along. They did a good job fitting those weird puzzle pieces together that they had crafted before they made a picture. But... You can really tell on a rewatch that they were kind of making it up as they went along. But, you know, that be that what it is, the, there's kind of a spectrum of continuity on television, and Lost is on certainly one end of it that requires people to, one, watch from the very beginning and kind of invites you to get involved in stuff that isn't just the show. And I guess on the other end, there's like Law and & Order. And Law and & Order is a show that everyone has probably seen at least 50 episodes of. <laughs> I guarantee you have not seen two episodes of Law and Order in order that they were broadcast, that you've seen them out of order, and it really doesn't matter. Yeah, right, exactly. The same characters are being played over 20-something years, but you can just watch one episode, and there's really nothing in there that's going to confuse you because you get basically a done-in-one. It's a done-in-one TV show. And I don't necessarily say that all TV shows have to be that way, but not all TV shows have to be either. I think that... TV like anything, and I think comics really need to take this on, which is the idea that there should be something for everybody, that not everybody has this hardcore collector mentality that some of us do, and that when comics are only like that, when they're only like you have to know this stuff and be willing to do internet homework to understand the adventures of a character that is universally known, like a Spider-Man or a Batman, then there's a problem, because suddenly... It creates this weird metric that I've discovered, which is the more universally recognizable a comic book character is, the less, it, the less easy it is to get into their stories and understand what's going on. It's impossible to understand what's happening in Batman unless you've read Batman for three years, I think, at this point. The same thing with Superman and all these other characters. Yet it's so easy to jump into the C-list and D-list characters which are way easier to get. I mean, Hawkeye is one of the most accessible books going right now. It's a great series. And even more so, when you go into a lot of the indie books, which are strictly 
uh, self-contained things like Walking Dead. Start with number one. There's everything you need to know right there. Doesn't pull you out into anything else. Um, I think that you know something like Chew or uh, other books like that are coming out from other publishers. Lock and key. This is all self-contained. So there's never a point where you're going to go, oh man, I got to read another comic to understand the comic I'm already buying. Right. So I think that comics need to take more of the more of that mentality. I think we've gone too far in the lost direction. Even I think we've gone beyond lost, where even with Lost, you could just watch Lost and get ninety percent of what you needed to know. Where now it feels like it's more like fifty. Right. And I think that's a problem. It's funny uh, you're talking about like doing stories that are you know just self-contained, and it's like DC did that with Superman, Superman Unchained, and now they're doing it with Wonder Woman with Sensation Comics, both of which, like, I, I subscribe to Superman Unchained, and I will be subscribing to Sensation, Sensation Comics, but it's funny, those are digital-only series, yeah. and, like, the average human who just wants to read a Wonder Woman story, you're never going to get them to go to Comixology and purchase it, and then you've got to go to this separate app and read it. There. Like, you've, you've put up so many barriers, for, it's like you. Ha- it's like joining Project Mayhem. You have to stand outside <laughs> Comicsology's doorway for five days without food or encouragement. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, like, it's amazing. Yeah. You have to really want to like comics, as my friend Paul Rue has said. There is no other medium that put that makes it so hard to be liked that you have to really be into it, and you have to really go through that. And this is even goes into a lot of comic stores. That there's a great comic store that you and um, Shag went to. But there's a lot of comic stores out there that look like the gun store from Grand Theft Auto 4. <laughs> it's just terrifying. And it really feels like we've put up this kind of clubhouse mentality, yeah. which is you have to get past the scary dog and you have to climb the scary tree and you have to overcome all these different barriers. And only then are you allowed to like us. Right. If you can get through that. And that's a real problem. I think continuity is the final of those barriers that we're going to write these books just for hardcore people and there's no room for casual fans when it's possible to make everybody happy. I mean, one of the things with the Avengers movie is it made comic fans happy, it made casual fans happy, it made kids happy. I mean, aside from uh, Clark Gregg getting stabbed, I think there's really no violence in it that I would have any problem showing like a seven-year-old. So, I mean, it's pretty accessible. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't room for continuity-heavy comics. Some of my favorite books have, have a lot of continuity in them. But I think continuity can be a tool and it can also be a hindrance that it's fun to watch characters team up. That, oh my god, Batman and Superman are in the same story. Normally they're just in their own comic, but now they're fighting crime together and isn't that cool? And we've seen that on TV too. I mean, how many different TV shows have Cliff Carmichael, I mean, uh, Cliff Clavin showed up <laughs> where I mean, Cliff Clavin, <laughs> uh, Cliff Clavin showed up on like wings. He showed up on a bunch of other shows. I think until the character of detective Munch from homicide, right? He's got the record, actually, right? Yeah. He had the record for showing up on the most shows. Detective Munch showed up on Arrested Development. Yeah. He showed up on the X Files. He showed up on Sesame Street. So uh, there's actually an interesting uh, article that years ago Dwayne McDuffie had written. You you know Dwayne McDuffie? I so. I do remember Dwayne McDuffie. Sure. Dwayne McDuffie was amazing. He had this uh, blog post that he called "The Unified Theory of Saint Elsewhere." Now he didn't invent oh, right, this, but, right, right. Which is the idea that if two characters appear on the screen at the same time. 
they're part of the same universe. Sure. So all the things happening on one show happens on another. And this comes from the TV show St. Elsewhere, which was like a hospital drama with some comedy touches to it. Great show. It, really good show. And what it's really notorious for is the ending, yes. where it's revealed that at the very end of the show that the entire series took place in the imagination of an autistic child looking at a snow globe. Right. So everything in that show didn't happen. It just got retconned at the very last minute. <laughs> but what happened to all the TV shows that St. Elsewhere crossovered with, including right. the Bob Newhart show? And, Cheers. I mean, Cheers, which, which goes into Frasier. Right. Which, I mean, there's all these shows. I mean, it, and what's amazing is in the course of this blog post, he manages to tie in all the Law & Order shows, the A-Team, um, uh, Grace Under Fire, Home Improvement, it's amazing, and he actually claims that if he can connect a TV show to Knight Rider, he can wipe out all of Star Trek. <laughs> so the basic idea is if we're going to hold to this idea that continuity is ironclad, that means that all of these TV shows are happening simultaneously in the imagination of this child. Nothing happened. The only thing in TV that ever happened is that kid. And it gets even weirder, because at the end of the TV show Newhart, it's revealed that that show was a dream of his character from the Bob Newhart show. Right. So there's a dream in another dream. <laughs> and that dream inside the dream crossed over to other shows, including Ellen DeGeneres and uh, the Drew Carey show. So it's, it's the idea being, the point he's making ultimately is that if you take this stuff too seriously, the end result is always going to be absurd. DC, you know, of course, was the, 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 the creator of this, this whole notion of sort of an internal continuity by bringing in the golden age and making it all one world. And then they themselves tripped themselves up when in the mid 60s, uh, some writer, it had probably had to be like Bob Kaniger or Bob Haney, who just didn't care, brought in the character of Mopey. Mm. And it was, you know, it was revealed that, you know, Barry Allen did not just accidentally get hit by lightning. It was a little genie character called Mopey. Uh, who sent the lightning bolt to Barry Allen and turned him into the Flash, and it was all on purpose. Oh, and that stuff. like a year later, even even within like a year later, I think Julie Schwartz was like, "No, that never happened." Like, the, yeah. and and you and that that was kind of blowing people's minds that you could do that. But even he was like, "No, we regret publishing that. That no, that, that's not how Barry Allen got his powers." And it was just they never referred to it again. Now they didn't have to write a story to unmopey it. They just oh, forgot uh, it. They were just like, no, 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 no. So even as early as like 1965 when that happened, they were running into these problems of like, look, some stories just don't fit, you know. Um, and, you know, the, there was a, there's a bunch of examples of certain writers deciding. Uh, I remember Tony Isabella in the back of his column when he was writing Hawkman, Shadow War of the Hawkman. He talked about there was a Hawkman story where one time Hawkman flapped his wings so hard he created a tornado. <laughs> and Isabella's like, no, that did not happen. That's ridiculous. You know, I'm just ignoring that. Um, but to me, uh, the the ultimate example of this has to be from, and I said I tipped it earlier about recommending Batman and the Outsiders, is from a is from a series of issues from Batman and the Outsiders. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we any discussion of continuity has to feature this this back and forth because this is just the ultimate discussion within the comic book itself of continuity and this comes from batman and the outsiders number 17 and it's a letter written to mike w Barr, who was both writer and editor of the book from nick anastasio and he mentions he says he says dear mike and company 
So do you expect us to believe Metamorpho never knew Batman's secret identity, do you? Ha! In Brave and the Bold number 123, Rex Mason helps Bruce Wayne escape from jail by bringing him a Batman suit. Says Rex, I did a little keyhole infiltrate at your penthouse. Here's your costume. Now maybe Jim Aparo, who drew B&B 23, forgot about that scene. After all, it's been nine years. But the Batman's secret ID is not something that a person like Rex Mason, Elise Metamorpho, would forget. And don't try and tell us Rick had amnesia after that. Try to be original with your alibi. Oh. So here's, here's Barr's answer. Nothing too alibi, Nick. Do you really think that the Batman, the Dark Knight detective, the hard-bitten leader of the Outsiders would need help in escaping from a jail cell? You can call B&B 123 an imaginary story. You can call it a parallel earth story. You can call it anything but late for dinner. But the Batman and Metamorpho in that tale are not the same people who appear monthly in these here pages. Mike W. Barr. Now, oh. right, <laughs> a perfectly reasonable answer, and you have to figure that Barr figured, I put that to bed. You know, yeah, like, know, I put that story that, you know, and I, I bought Batman and Outsiders at the time. And I remember reading it and saying, that's an entirely reasonable way to look at it. You know, even then I was like, okay, but it didn't, yeah, end, but it didn't, no, it, yeah. didn't. it did not in com- there. No, because comic book fans and reason don't necessarily fall into the same category right. sometimes. So five issues later, there's a letter to, about the letter and it says, dear Mr. Barr, this is a letter of protest. Oh. <laughs> protest. Oh. I was highly outraged by a comment you outraged. He was outraged by a comment you made in a letter column of Outsiders number seventeen. You stated, and then it just reiterates: when a writer is given the opportunity to pick and choose whatever elements of a character's history he wishes to keep or discard, the book loses any semblance of quality. <laughs> any semblance. Any. Any. Remember, Mike, that Metamorpho had been around for twenty years. Imagine how Bob Haney feels when told his character does not live up to the expectations of Mike W. Barr. Suppose you knew Neil, Neil, Neil Adams had decided to scrap the previous 20-year history of Batman when they took over a few years ago. You might, not, you might not even be writing this book right now. Think about that. Sincerely, Stan Tachinsky. All right. So here's my, <laughs> my, my response. And so it goes, with the above being only a sample of the many letters that poured into the Batman and the Outsiders mailbox protesting my comments on Brave and Bold 123. The events Ooh. in that story, a Batman metamorpho team up, blah, 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 and he just re- again reiterates what was discussed there. First, let's restate a fundamental fact that seems obvious, but is often forgotten in discussions of such subjects of continuity. These stories and the characters in them are not real. Yeah. They do not exist. They are fictional characters, and they do not age, save for minute amounts of time, save for minute amounts over an increasingly long periods of time, nor will most of them ever die. They are, in the final analysis, characters who have survived in the marketplace over a period of years by making DC Comics an acceptable amount of profit. All of us had the frustrating experience of having a favorite book canceled because it didn't sell well enough to survive in the marketplace. Uh, it's sad, but true. As fictional characters, they will be manipulated by their creative teams in an attempt to produce a maximum amount of profit for the company. I have no objections to this whatsoever and knew these facts coming into the comic book business. Over the years, company and fan perceptions of characters change, which is why some adventures seem out of sync with adventures being published today. One such case is Batman and the Outsiders number 123. The issue sold well in its time and therefore fulfilled its professional requirements, but the story doesn't fit into the attitude I'm trying to develop here in Bato. And since Bato sells well, I have to assume that the attitude toward Batman and his team is a successful one. It should be maintained. I was amused by your comment about Daniel Neal and Neil Adams' Batman story, Stan. 
they began doing bats in 1969, so a 20-year history of the character would take us back to 1949 and everything in between. Check out those issues of Batman Detective sometimes, Stan. You find stories about Batmite, Bathound, Batwoman, about Batman and Robin meeting aliens from other worlds, about all sorts of weird physical transformations happening to them, and the supporting cast. Even one story in which Batman and the Joker underwent a mind transfer. None of these elements were contained in the Batman stories done by Denny O'Neill, and I am forced to conclude that those two creators, in revamping the character for the 70s, did scrap a large portion of bad history. 20 years from now, if my conception of the Batman, a conception which shares much with the O'Neill-Adams version, doesn't fit with the company viewpoint, well, someone will probably claim those stories didn't fit into then-current continuity. That will not only be their privilege, but their responsibility. My job is to sell Bato every month. If I fail in that task, I either have to change the way I write and edit the book, or if I'm unwilling to change my methods, let someone else write and edit the book. Now, how funny is that, that he talks about in 20 years, somebody deciding what he wrote isn't in continuity? Because, of course, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's the problem. Is I think a lot of the, the this comes from the fact that as comic books got more sophisticated in their subject matter and got more sophisticated in their writing, more people stuck on with them past childhood because right. the material was just better. And because of that, more people were around when that story was written the second time that changed things. And I don't know what it is with us where we need an origin for friggin' everything. We need to write a story about why everything's indifferent now. And it's like in the flash run that uh, Jeff Johns just did. He had an origin story for Barry Allen's bow tie. And <laughs> does that really need to happen? Do we really need to explain why he wears a bow tie? He's already kind of a nerdy guy. That should be enough. I mean, what is the explanation on Doctor Who for Matt Smith's bow tie? He just says, bow ties are cool. Why is that such a, why can't we believe that and just go from there? He just, this is a guy who just happens to dress that way. Why do we need to go, okay, well, we have to explain there was a specific murder case. And, and no, we don't need to know everything and explain everything. It's like when I read those letters, all I can think about is that the person who wrote it to Mike W. Barr thinks that he's a senator at a subcommittee meeting <laughs> and that he's grilling somebody about something like, I'm sorry, you know, Mr. Barr, uh, that is your name. Uh, <laughs> apparently... Uh, this story here, Rex Mason knew Batman's secret identity, yet in this other Batman on the Outsiders comic, he doesn't. Do you have an explanation for that, sir? <laughs> have it's you like, no shame, Mr. Barr? At long last, <laughs> have you no shame? It's, it's amazing. And I, maybe it's because I've been this guy many times before, but that gets under my skin. The pedantic nerd thing bugs me so much. Partially out of fear that I sometimes am that person, <laughs> because I have been, but it's, it's amazing. Why do we need to explain why things are different? And that was one of the things with the Star Trek reboot that J.J. Abrams did. I'm like, did they just do a comic book reboot story in the middle of their Star Trek reboot? Where they had to explain where the new universe came from? And it's like, that is such a crisis on Infinite Earth sort of thing. <laughs> it's like... Do we? And you know why it's happening? It's there to placate angry fanboys like the guy who wrote that letter. Yeah. Because we get. Why are we so mad when things change? It's like we think that if something we enjoy is out of continuity and isn't used to write future stories, then somehow our investment in reading that story has been wasted. You know what the investment is? Did you like it? Yes, I thought that was a great Batman and the Outsiders story. Yes, I thought that was a really cool story where. 
Batman and Metamorpho and Plastic Man team up. There you go. You got exactly what you were supposed to get out of it. This is never going to end. There's never going to be a season finale where it ties all of this stuff together and all of this work you put into it is suddenly going to mean something. Either it means something now with you enjoying it or it never will. And we have to be comfortable with that. Yeah, um, and the thing with uh, the thing with Barr continued on into a bunch of issues. I mean, he to, to his credit, he took the heat, you know, and he ran these letters that were very, very negative about him. And he continued the discussion. And I'm not going to uh, read too much more, but there's just one bit that I, I laughed out loud at. And like I said, I remember buying this comic on the stands and reading. So somebody writes, Dear Mike, your explanation for your manipulation of the Batman mythos serves to remind us, those of us, who have been around a bit that comics is a business. After a period of years, one grows attached to characters, begins to love them, to cry when they die. Thanks for reminding us that they're just blobs of tinted ink on pressed wood pulp, distributed by companies as a way to extract currency from the general populace. After all, this is 1985, and we can admit that nobody does anything for love anymore, but rather than to turn a buck. Joe oh. Delperto. And Mike's, oh. Mike's one-sentence response is, I am losing the will to live. <laughs> the next time I see Mike W. Barr at a con, I'm just going to give him a hug. Now, he ended up – I learned this in, in, uh, in an article about this, this whole kerfuffle in Back Issue magazine by Two Mars. He got death threats. Oh, come this. on. He got literal death threats. And this was pre-internet when you actually had to like write your death threat and mail it. It used to be hard to threaten. It used to be hard to threaten. Now you can just, anytime a woman says something about a comic book, let's shoot her a death threat. Oh, God. But, uh, it's so easy. Yeah, yeah it's so I, easy. But I mean, In my day, we had to walk up I had to mail the I, snow to threaten somebody. I had to pour the rice in, in the envelope and mail it from another undisclosed location. Imagine being so wrapped up in this that you would issue a death threat to somebody. I mean, that is just... And like I said, I remember at the time reading those comics, and I was 13, 14, and I took superhero comics pretty darn seriously but i remember reading that and saying yeah i agree with mike those stories and you know it's funny uh you know one of the blogs i run is heykidscomics.blogspot.com and you know those are all just stories about somebody's favorite iteration you know favorite moment from comic books and a guy wrote a story i forget his name i should have looked it up in anticipation but you know why do prep work um (laughs) but a guy wrote a story about um that that issue uh, robin dies at dawn where Batman and Robin go to a parallel, go to a, uh, an alien world, and it's—I think it's an imaginary story or something—and Robin dies, and the cover has Batman holding Robin's corpse, and you know, it's like, oh my God, my partner is dead. And this is the era of this is '50s Batman, where, as Mike W. Barr mentioned, Batman's going to alien planets. He turns into Bat Baby. Uh, you know, he's fighting alligator men. I mean, it's as un-Batman as it can be. And this guy said. That era of Batman, where Batman is visiting alien planets and being turned into a half zebra, is his favorite version of Batman. Yeah. To him, that's Batman. And you're like, wow, every version of a character is somebody's favorite. Every version, yeah. no matter how you, – you, you would think nobody would say that that's their favorite version of Batman. But to that guy, that's Batman, not, not the grim detective. No, alien Batman. That's his favorite version of Batman. It's funny because uh, continuity, I think, gets in the way of the experimentation that lets you be weird in these ways, that you adhere to it too much, and you realize that Batman isn't just one character. He's probably more like 300 characters, and they all kind of gradually switch over. But unlike Doctor Who, they don't acknowledge the change because it's so gradual when somebody takes over. And they go, oh, I don't really like that bit. I like this thing about Batman, so I'm going to focus on that. And that becomes the focus on Batman for a few years. And it's funny because so many of the people who get the angriest about the weird 
Dick Sprang type goofy giant typewriter part of Batman. Um, love a lot of the stuff in Batman Brave and the Bold where they throw little dashes of that here and there. Like yeah. there's the beginning of one of the Brave and the Bold episodes where Batman is teams up with Enemy Ace in World War One. There's no explanation for yeah, why he's right. in World War One, and he has a bat biplane because why not? Because having a bat biplane is awesome, and that's all the explanation you need. And I think uh, my good friend Paul Rue explained one time. People are wrong when they say Batman doesn't have a superpower. Batman's superpower is that he's awesome. (laughs) And that the purpose of a Batman story is to tell the story Batman is awesome. And that Batman will have a great escape, or he'll do something incredible, or he will defeat a group of henchmen in an abandoned warehouse somewhere by dropping in on their card game. I mean, there's all of this stuff that we love. But we have to not start putting a cage down around the thing that we like and forgetting that the version we like wasn't the first and that we basically took it from somebody else who took it from somebody else and that we can't say, no, it stops here. This is my character and I'm unwilling to share it with the next generation. And I think that when writers are kind of held down by that, not only does it keep a lot of creators away whose favorite version of the character was a past version, it keeps a lot of fans away. So my answer really to all of this kind of comes down to something that I think will be incredibly controversial, but I think fans need to hear it. I think it's time to end the shared universe. I think that we need to start, not, not write a story about it, not explain why the shared universe is gone. Just slowly over a course of time, more and more creators just choose to ignore it if they want to. So if they introduce a new version of Lobo that nobody likes, you can ignore it in your story. If a character in the Avengers dies that you don't like, you can put them in your Avengers story with no explanation. Because like with animated series, every time somebody new picks it up, a new creative team, start from scratch. It's essentially kind of a greatest hits. What is this creator's favorite part of this character? And we do this all the time. As hardcore fans, some of our favorite stories are not continuity stories. DC New Frontier is amazing. Yes. And it has nothing to do with continuity. It puts them in a specific time zone, saying that this is a version of the Silver Age that takes place during the time those characters were originally created. The same thing happens with stuff like, um, not just the, the stuff like um, uh, Batman Dark Knight Returns is another great example. All-Star Superman. These are great books. Um, and actually, originally, uh, Killing Joke was not originally intended to be a continuity book. But somebody in continuity liked the idea of picking up, I hate to say the pieces of the situation with um, Barbara Gordon, but turning her into a different character, uh, Oracle, because of the stuff that happens in Killing Joke. Originally, this is just a standalone story that Alan Moore just wanted to do his Batman story. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that when you look at the digital-only stuff that you have to go through... I don't know, like you, it's like at the end, it's like in the never ending story where he has to go through the Oracle and he has to, you know, it's like how many different things do I have to go to to just get escapist fun stories? That's all I want to have is fun stories. And the digital stuff is already doing what I want. I mean, stuff like Solo, stuff like um, Wednesday Comics. Oh my God, I love oh, Wednesday, Wednesday Comics. Oh, Wednesday Comics, yeah. <laughs> just let the creator do whatever they want with this character. You know, have certain rules, like, you know, Superman isn't going to be like a thrill killer. This isn't something like that. But give them the freedom to create the version that they want. And if somebody wants Superman with his red trunks on, let them do it. 
let them go hog wild because there's so many great stories there. And instead of forcing people to have to write stories to pick up the pieces of the stuff they don't like from other people's stories, if and it lets people experiment. And if the experiment fails, you just ignore it and you move on to something else. But if it works, it kind of has this telephone effect. Someone else will pick up that character in that version and do something with it. Really good example of a character doing this is like the Justice League Unlimited version of the question, which is unlike a lot of other versions of the character and is actually based a lot on Rorschach in some ways, who is based on the original question. So, <laughs> and, a little, and a little bit of Steve Ditko. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how I think that we can afford to just kind of let go and make this stuff more open and more interesting. So when somebody like Paul Pope wants to do a commandy book, you should be thrilled that this brilliant creator wants to play with one of your toys rather than saying, no, no, it doesn't fit into what we want. Because none of this stuff fits. That's the thing we don't want to admit. We try to argue around it, but it doesn't fit. There is no way to jive the commandy future with the Legion of Superheroes future with that Mad Max future that Jonah Hex goes to. It doesn't fit. <laughs> and we shouldn't try to try to force it to fit. Just let them be good stories. It's funny you mentioned uh, Jonah Hex in the, uh, the beginning part of the Insock Trades app because it's I've mentioned this before on Fire and Water is that All-Star Western was one of the few new 52 titles that I kept up with past like the third issue. I think I bought when new 52 debuted, I think I bought about 20 titles and then like I quickly winnowed that down to like 10 as of the second issue. And then I winnowed it down even further. And then about half a year in, I was pretty much just getting Aquaman justice league, uh, one or two others and all-star Western. Cause I really like Jonah hex. And I always have. Yeah. And then the more and more they started bringing Jonah Hex into essentially the Batman world because it's like he goes to Gotham and then there's like Mayor Cobblepot. And I was like, I, this stops being a Jonah Hex comic, yeah. you know, at a certain point. And I'm like, oh, I, like, I don't want Jonah. I like Jonah Hex. Oh, I don't know. Pushing old ladies off in wheelchairs off of cliffs. You know, that, yeah. that's the Jonah Hex I want, not Jonah Hex who's going to fight an ersatz version of the Penguin, you know. And, and it yeah. just sort of kind of got – and I don't – that is one of the things about the new 52 that has been bothersome to me is that it's so tightly structured now where it's all continuity. It's all one big universe. And that was – it was funny. All growing up, it used to be – it was flipped. Marvel was the world that was – everything had to fit in. Everything had to be part of the Marvel universe. And DC were the ones who were like, yeah, we'll do you know Sonic Disruptors or we'll do Johnny Double or we'll do The Secret Six. Well, none of it necessarily, you know, maybe if you want to work it in, you can, but it doesn't have to. I mean, like, I remember uh, Showcase number 100, written by, you know, our, our pal Paul Kupperberg, and that's a great comic. And he purposely went in and, and worked in all the features that had been in Showcase to that point. But it was kind of done as an affectionate nod. It wasn't, you know, like Sugar and Spike are in that comic. Yeah. And you can and, – and like George Perez worked them into crisis. But it's like hmm. – but, but you know, but at the same time, the Sugar and Spike stories are not meant to be part of the DC universe. You know, they're meant to be enjoyed for what they're meant to be enjoyed for, which is great humor comics. And it's a great little affectionate nod. But Lord knows I don't want Sugar and Spike to be like, oh, well, their father is somebody named Kent. Oh, well, his uh. brother is – you know, like I don't want to see any of that. Just have They it, all went know. to college together. Yeah. yeah, they all went to college together. So it's – you know, um, it's it's funny. It's I, We never really thought about this before we started the show, but it's like you and I are coming from this from very similar points of view, so it's kind of hard 
to do an episode because we're not neither one of us is being devil's advocate. I mean, if, if it helps, I can call you a communist. I, I guess so. I mean, that always helps. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things it's funny, despite this kind of the, the, what we're talking about, one of my favorite comics growing up was All Star Squadron. Which was obsessed with continuity. My Roy Thomas, that was his thing. I mean, he went out of his way to fit in every story. But there was something, I don't know, there was something charming about that. I think he was almost elbowing you in the ribs a little and being like, look, I know this is kind of ridiculous that, you know, I'm going to write an entire story about why Sandman's gloves are different than they used to be. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but to me, he never let it get in the way of telling a fun story. I mean, the story wasn't about why Sandman's gloves were changed. It was that would fit that he would fit that in in like a two panel thing on the side, and you know you could sort of accept it or you didn't. You know what I mean? But um, absolutely, yeah. I think you're right, and I think that DC's real strength has always been the variety of the stuff that they create. That I know that, like you said, Marvel is very coherent in a lot of ways, but. DC, and this is one of the problems of the New 52, trying to have this uniform look and tone to their entire product line, is that it goes against what their product line actually is. That we're talking about a line that includes like Green Lantern, Commandy, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, JSA, Sergeant Rock, Space Cabby, uh, Adam Strange, Amethyst, Captain Carrot, Hellblazer, Amazing Man, Jonah Hex, Swamp Thing, Sugar and Spike, and Warlord. <laughs> That's a great. Oh. That's a diverse line. That's a. That's a great. Just, just those titles you rattled off. You're like any publisher would be proud to, to have produced that much diverse material. Yeah, and you put that on a wall and say these are all the monthly titles and these are what all the books are. You're like, wow, there's something for everybody on that wall. But when you try to make Jonah Hex a Batman book, also it makes no sense to have it set in Gotham City and call it a western. But that's just yeah, me well, being right, the pedantic yeah. nerd. <laughs> As we all know, Gotham's in New Jersey now. So that was the weird thing is that a lot of the New Fifty Two, a lot of the stated uh, reason was we wanted to have a clean break where new fans can come in to re in, in you know you know, notice these characters for the first time again. And they want to recognize them on sort of a visceral level. We've seen you in cartoons. We read comics as a kid. But I want to try this stuff now because this looks cool. And the problem with that is that some of the books actually became less accessible than they were prior to it. And it's a weird little irony. And Jonah Hex in All-Star Western is probably the best example. The All-Star Western book, which was getting tied into all this Gotham City stuff and really becoming a Batman prequel title right. in a lot of ways because, you know, uh, Arkham is a character in it and, like you mentioned, Cobblepot. But the beautiful thing about the Jonah Hex series that the same writing team had prior to the New 52, just titled Jonah Hex, was that it was almost entirely done in one stories. You didn't yeah. need to... Yeah know anything about the character or his origins, just that he's just a mean bastard with a facial scar who's a bounty hunter in the Old West. That's all you needed to know. And it was amazing how diverse those stories could be. I think there was two or three two-part stories, and around issue 50, there was a five-part epic for the 50th issue. But that's it. It was almost all done in ones, and because they're done in ones, you could get these really interesting artists to come on for just one issue who would have never signed on for three years of a book. You could get Darwin Cook, who did like three issues. Tony DeZuniga came back to do the character again and did like four issues of Jonah Hex. Jordy Bernay, who had never done American work before, was coming on to do a DC title. That's, that's and amazing. I got that guy. Ugh. He's amazing. And he ended up doing like half of that series coming on because he only, you know, like I'll do two issues in a row and then I can take a break for like six months and work on my own stuff. Come back to another Hex story because they were giving him good stuff. 
And also the diversity of the artists was kind of like Sandman in this regard where the writer could say, okay, this artist is good at this kind of story. And that artist is good as that kind of story. So it kept the diversity of the stories going so it didn't feel like you read the same thing over and over again with a different coat of paint. And it was fun and it was fresh and it was the only book that I could think of to this day in the modern era where you can say, where do I start? Start wherever you want. Hmm. Start at any issue. Does that cover look cool? Buy that one. Hmm. It, it was amazingly good stuff. And it was true to the spirit of the original books and it didn't require you to do a bunch of homework. I think there was a couple origin stories. How did he get his scar? Why is he wearing the uniform? What's that all about? As Doodle Done in One sprinkled throughout. But they weren't necessary to understand the other stories. And I think it was almost the perfect example of what I want most books, not all books, but most to be. Because I think there's room in comic books for all of us, yeah. including people who want the continuity. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're not, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't want anybody listening to this to think that we are trying to advocate getting rid of one type of comic for one that we favor, because that's just as bad as the other way around. No, no, no. Yeah. There is, yeah, like you said, there is room for every type of approach. Exactly. And if we're going to have 20 Batman titles, can they feel different? <laughs> can, can one of them be like a Dick Sprang Batman oh, book? Oh, man, and I'd buy the be a crap Frank... out of that. And it's, we were kind of doing it in a weird sort of way, but it's happening sort of in that, like, digital-only ghetto with the Batman 66, which is evidently doing really well. It's selling like gangbusters. So it's great. So why isn't that book being pushed just as hard as the main Batman book? Why isn't it a main Batman book? There's room. The beautiful thing about Batman, again, is he's one of the most versatile characters in fiction, that you can put him in literally any story. And that's the real strength of a book like Brave and the Bold, is you can team him up with anybody. He teams up with Aquaman. Oh, he just has a bat submarine. And you know, there's never a moment when any fan goes, wait a minute, Bruce Wayne wouldn't have a submarine. No, yes, Batman would have a submarine. Batman would have a rocket ship and team up with his bat rocket pack and Adam Strange. There's nothing wrong with that. He can do sort of a crime thriller and team up with the question to solve a mystery in the middle of the city. Or he can team up with the Flash to fight, you know, Gorilla Garage. There's no reason he can't do all of that. So why not have a line of books that represents that diversity? So that no matter what your favorite Batman is, there's something there for you. And also something for kids. That's the other thing is we've been so selfish with these books that I remember uh, I work, I've worked at bookstores forever. And I had this kid come up to me who was super excited. He wanted to read Batman comics. And I walked him over to the graphic novel section and I was just hit in the face with the realization that I didn't feel safe giving him most of right. the stuff there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to give him the book where the Joker is like Leatherface now. Yeah. I really don't want to get screamed at a, by a mother that badly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd probably give him um, some of the Jim Aparo stuff because that stuff's amazing. <laughs> That's my Batman. My Batman is either the, uh, the Haney Aparo Batman or the O'Neill Adams Batman. 70s Batman. That's, that's kind of my Batman. Or Batman the Animated Series. Kind of a weird amalgam of all of these Batmen but there, there should be a Batman for everybody. I mean, he's clearly popular and versatile. So why not use Batman to his full potential? I, I, that's, a, that's a great I, – I think we should stop there because I, I wanted to end the show on a kind of an upbeat note. And I can't think of anything better than that, really. I mean, especially so Batman is DC's marquee character. Uh, he's the, he's the guy driving. There's a reason he gets top billing in Batman v Superman, uh, over, over, uh, the man of steel. And yeah, I agree with that entirely. I mean, it, it, it bothers me that, and I, you know, that there are business reasons why this isn't done, but like, you know, why, when you go to a movie theater, 
there aren't comics available of the character featuring in the movie you just saw. You know, I mean, it, it's like if you had, if you, if you think of all the millions of people that are going to go see Batman v Superman, and it's a shame that when you walk out into the lobby, there aren't comic books to buy. Um, yeah, you know, I absolutely. mean, yeah, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider Man, any of these things, you know, just a little, even a little digest for five bucks. You know, you could say, hey, did you like the movie? Hey, look at this. Here's a more five, Batman. you know, more Batman, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, I guess I said the, the the reason you know Mike and I are here was just is just. We just we want the diversity, you know. We just want the diversity. That's all, you know. I think that that would be a nice, a nice thing to see comics to help expand its marketplace and expand its readership. Because Lord knows the fans are there. These, yeah. these people are willing to see these movies and and see you know spend millions of make these things billion dollar franchises. I mean, if if the Avengers as a movie can make one point five billion dollars, which is staggering when you think about that. The um, comic should make at least a million. Yeah, yeah, right. At the very least, you know. Geez, you know so. Um, geez, is there anything else we wanted to talk about continuity before we, before we wrap up? Uh, not really. I just, I want to love some of these characters again. And I know I'm not alone in that. And I know that I'm not, I can love it again without taking it away from anybody else. So why can't we? This isn't some strange fish face. It's a rattler. The Wonder Twins are having a party here later. They're going to like this rhythm instrument. It's called a sun rattler, and it's really easy to make. All you need are two paper plates, a handful of dried beans, liquid glue, and some colored markers. On the bottom of each of the plates, draw a happy sun face. Now that you've got the two shells for your rattler, I'll be back in a few minutes to tell you how to finish it. How much we miss Rob. Yes. Do we miss Rob? Yeah. Rob is a nice person. Have you met him? Uh, he pays me to say that. I thought so. Yes. Unfortunately, we're more than six miles away from Rob, so he couldn't be here. Yes. <laughs> he was just running. He, he would run to way. join us. He would always <laughs> run to join us. <laughs> just ran six miles to podcast. That's yeah. right. That so great. Please, everyone say hello with you in the ridiculous Aquaman shirt. Uh, this is Russell, little Russell Burbage in his ridiculous Aquaman shirt. Professor Allen. This is uh, Aaron Bias. I unfortunately left my similar ridiculous Aquaman shirt at home uh, as I came here straight from work. Aqua Twin Towers, activate! It's a really garish orange. It's it's hurting my eyes. Shag's making me cry. And that's new how. <laughs> so we were trying to figure out what we're going to talk about, and Russell uh, pointed out that he wished someone, a host was here. What, what were you saying exactly? Uh, I wish somebody... Like a host was here who could decide the agenda or the, the topics of conversation. And give Shag a script. Yes. We miss you, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's like a feedback episode. We'll yeah. tell Shag how much we like Rob on the show. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and he'll post this in about six months. That's All right. right. So DC Millennium from the 1980s. Discuss. Millennium. Uh, I was reading Green Lantern at the time, so I was used to Joe Staten's version of the Green Lantern Corps. That's about the best thing I can say about that series. If it's not been in the quarter bins in the last few years, I don't remember it. <laughs> there was a bunch of it in the quarter. We just came from yes. Half Price Books and went th- crawled through the quarter bins. I had the, yeah. the, the bleeding fingers to prove it. And there was tons of Millennium Crossovers in there, my friend. First, everybody. Thank you, Shag. Yes, thank you. He was actually... Yes. Uh, I bought them all alcohol and drugs. Yes. So you're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm addicted you... to comics, so that's pretty accurate. 
I, uh, I unfortunately arrived late this evening, so I got the sloppy seconds of the quarter bin. <laughs> he got uh, the blow, not the hookers. I picked so. up I picked up a, an issue of Jack Chick's Crusaders so I could further traumatize myself, and uh, that's about... You missed all the John Sable. Strong. That was good. Yeah, so well, I didn't miss the John Sable, and I'm still not missing it. <laughs> oh! That hurts. I, I like Mike Grella. He's a very nice person, and he draws real pretty. I, I read his Green Arrow, so I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever notice in, like, every issue of Green, Green Arrow, uh, Ollie and Dino were screwing, and then something would interrupt them? Yes. Like, it seemed like every issue, I don't know whether that was to maintain the mature reader's label or what, but every it's like, oh, is there some grunting, and then, oh, the phone rang, or... Oh, the chili's burning. Metropolis got attacked, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, no, There's no, no, no evil, comment on Millennium? Evil Japanese assassin at the door. Right. With who, my illegitimate who child. my child. <laughs> my, my 17th illegitimate child. Right, who's a strangely grown up now. Yes. Uh... No, I have no comment on Millennium. I'm trying to remember Millennium. I, I, I'm confusing it with, like, uh, L. Something good? Like, no, nothing good. I, I, it's, it's another one of those terrible events from the same period. I can't remember. War of the Gods. Most War, of them. War of the Gods. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of year one or, no, DC one million, maybe. That was, that was no, like, zero hour. Zero hour is what I'm picturing. Oh, zero hour. Gets a bad rap. It's, Deservedly so. No, it, no. We all we got the zero issues, which were great. Some of those zero issues were fantastic. Some of them were fantastic. Yes. None of the ones that found their way to my hands. <laughs> More comic books should count down their numbering. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've got we've got decimal numbering. We've got zeros. We need to do something like have like a pie issue. See, something with I different would, numbering. This is part of the evil. I of like continuity. pie. Okay, when you didn't have, when nobody cared, when nobody cared what happened in Smallville last week in relation to what happened in this month's Superboy, which was all just off the cuff and had nothing to do with any other continuity that was established, nobody had to, like, worry about renumbering things for some anal retentive nerd somewhere who was going to be like, but this happened before issue one, so it must be point five. I, I that, blame Roy Thomas. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good that's a good place uh, to start. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, Aaron, would you like us to turn down our speakers and get off your lawn as well? Yes, <laughs> yes, I would. Yes, I would. Gene Simmons, <laughs> get off my lawn. Damn kids. <laughs> as much as I love continuity, yes, it has screwed up a lot of nonsense. Yeah, because if it weren't for all that, yes, they didn't have to reboot the DC universe. They just could have kept telling new stories. Yeah. Yes. But I do love Crisis. I do love Crisis. I, I don't know. care if there's weak points. I don't want to hear about it if there are. I, I just unabashedly love Crisis. And Secret Wars, by the way. Somewhere between issue 2 and <laughs> issue 11, Crisis becomes interminably boring. No, it doesn't. When all like all the action happens, yeah, yeah, yeah all, all the worlds explode, yeah, explode. Yeah. yeah, those were boring. Oh, well, my it was God. boring. It, well, it, it was it was visually pretty cool. Yeah, but Marv Wolfman really dragged some things yeah. out. I just boy, I'm negative tonight. Yeah, I'm sorry. Why am I so negative? Last episode Aaron Bias will ever appear on. Next time. Well, that's positive. You start off with Millennium. Where do you expect I'm me to go? I'm just saying, next time, Amy Bias is Inf coming to the show. <laughs> Infinite Crisis. Whoa. Oh, that hurts. Why don't you, why don't you bring up uh, Identity Crisis while you're at it? Oh, I'd rather not. I, yeah. Oh. I don't mind one, Identity Crisis One of my much. favorite stores. Identity I think, Crisis? I think it's absolutely one of my favorite stores. Okay, yeah. I'm glad someone liked it. I think uh, I enjoyed that less than Sue Dibney. I oh, <laughs> that is impossible. <laughs> 
I, I imagine little Russell Burbage probably hates Identity Crisis simply because of what they did to the JLA. But I hate everything. It was it was a good story. <laughs> it was an interesting read. It made you know what the, the thing I like about Identity Crisis is it got me and all my comic fan, friends talking again. We were all wondering what was going to happen. Right. We had not debated and wondered where a story was going in years, and that one made us wonder. And while they killed Firestorm and Sue Dibney in the same comic, which really sucks, uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, Tell us had, why you liked it. Well, I mean, they had spent. Because you're smart and stuff. He's got a professor uh, title in front of his name. Yeah, it's like Martin Stein. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and Ray Ray Palmer. There it is. I I do sometimes have another voice that I think, but. I, Wait a minute. That, I don't, That's your wife. That's just Wait the voices. <laughs> many voices. I mean, we had we had spent a long time saying that having a secret identity, if that were to be known, it would hurt our families. Right. Yep. And we had lived in that quote unquote reality for almost fifty years, and it had never happened. And someone finally wrote the story that said, "See." We were telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. This could be really bad. Yeah. So and I really appreciate that. I will surprise you by telling you that I I really liked Identity Crisis. Whoa! I enjoyed it very much. I did not like the aftermath. That whole oh yeah. The Batman doesn't like Zatanna, who doesn't like Green Lantern, who you know none of that, all that bullshit. I hated. But the story itself was really really good. I got number one. Um, me and a buddy, we both bought our copies. We we were going out to dinner with our girlfriends at the time, or maybe it was my wife. What year did that come out? Two thousand four. Was it your wife and your girlfriend? Was, so okay, it would have been my wife. So anyway, we both bought our copies, and we're sitting in the car, each of us reading our own copies, and like one of us is a page or two ahead of each other, and we were like one of us started crying first. And it's like, oh, and like what? No, no, oh god. <laughs> And uh, just totally right. Now, by the way, Aaron is so bored, he's staring at the clouds now. A moment ago, I caught him looking in the sky like a little kid on a baseball field who doesn't want to play. Like, okay. Well, I can't say anything nice. Apparently, apparently not. So I've, I've already, I've already uh, you know, told you damn kids to get off right. my lawn once tonight. I'm going to, like, rein that back until I have something... You name a comic. So, so, Shag, is this what I sound like most of the time? Most of the time, okay. yes. I just, I just, it's, it's a different experience to hear the we should, other. We should talk more. Yeah. <laughs> when Russell wears his angry pants. Not on tonight. When you have a man, when you have a man so disenchanted with what's going on in modern comics that he feels he has to sit down and draw his own Justice League because he's not getting <laughs> what he wanted from the people who gave him Justice League in the first place. I think you have someone who's unhappy with the current state of comics. Am I wrong, Russell? Uh, you are not wrong. I'm just trying to figure out if that was a compliment. No, that was a little bit of a slam. No, that was absolutely not a slam. It was a compliment. That was absolutely not a slam. You found your joy. I have yes. found my joy. And you are yes. living it. Yes, sir. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, you know, very much. Kudos to you and your your, your artistic expression, sir. I, I applaud the effort. I, I, I have nothing negative to say about no, that at all. And, in fact, I, I think it is, you know, I, I hate to say the word mass, but masturbatory, but it's kind of like <laughs> stories that I like, that I enjoy reading, and I have... Uh, you don't need to see the hand gestures he's making right <laughs> Yeah, now. it's like, and I really like um, that other people enjoy them. You know, and I posted on Facebook the other day that, you know, Luke Dobb is playing in my sandbox now, Andy Capellish right. is playing in my yeah. sandbox. It's like, wow, all this fun stuff is happening because 
I'm not the only one who doesn't like what's going on in mainstream right. comics. I mean, let's be honest, who's enjoying Justice League right now anyway? Yeah, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Dude, I don't even buy new comics. <laughs> not to be the, the cranky old man again, but I just don't. I don't have, like, uh, when, when I have the disposable income, I buy old comics with yeah. it because I'm, I know I'm going to get something I'm going to like. And not to be, like, afraid of trying new things, I go in and I look at the, like, like, hero porn on the shelf and I just <laughs> turn around yeah. and head to the basement. That's it. I go to the bargain basement. Well, let, let, let's uh, turn it uh, around. <laughs> Where have you found your joy? Like, we know where Russell's joy is. Oh. Uh, yeah, Professor Allen has podcast. made his joy. He has a podcast about his joy. That's a that's a tough question. I am I am, uh, I am cyclically obsessive. I, I latch onto something and I read the hell out of it for a long time uh -huh. until I can't stand it anymore. And then it drops and then I move on to something else. Right. Like I sat down and started watching Gotchamon again the other day. I'm still trying to make my way through. Hey, you guys would probably better know that as Battle of the Planets. And oh my gosh! Yes. Oh my gosh! So, yeah. No, Russell just told us that. Yes, we were at that store and he pulls out Battle of the Planets. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Gotchamon. He's like, yeah. it is? I'm like, yeah, Japanese gotcha. name is Gotchamon. And Shag yeah. looks at me like I'm effing crazy. Well, and I was like, like a joke. Never gotcha. mind. Gotcha. Never gotcha. mind. It's, it's, it's an and I wonder where Luke it's Jack a, and Eddie showed it's up. It's a Japanese out of onomatopoeia. It's supposed to sound like two mechas smashing together. It's so, and, uh, and they added the man because the convention was Batman, right. Spider-Man. Right, the, right. the things yeah. they'd gotten from the West, they, right. they'd seen, they had their Spider-Man show, right. they'd seen our Batman reruns, and they said, okay, let's make a Western-style superhero, uh, and his name's Gutchman. That's hysterical. Smash-up man. See, I don't lie. Yeah, that's his nickname. And it's it's Science Ninja Team Gutchman is the actual <laughs> name of the show. <laughs> They're the Science Ninja Team. Right. If Luke Jacanetti is listening, he's <laughs> punching the air right now, like, woo! And it's it's pretty sweet actually. Like in the original, <laughs> I'm watching it with the with the with the English uh, dub instead of the Japanese subtitles because I want to see the show and I can't read it and right, see it yeah, at the yeah. same time. But uh, it it really is fun. It's very violent. It's much more violent. Well, Battle of the Planets they made it about space and it's not even about space. It all takes really? place on right. Earth. And the robot and the dog are not even part of that. That was added by Sandy Frank. <laughs> the, the the show they are constantly like you know machine gunning people there's a, a shuriken <laughs> to the face every once in a while it's just yeah and, and everyone loves a well played shuriken to the face it was a family show it was just you know it was 1972 that's just what went down yep. but uh, it uh, it's pretty sweet so I did that for a while but then I kind of moved on and right now I'm rereading or I'm not rereading I never read them before but I'm reading old Alex Raymond Flash Gordon Ooh, Sundays nice. I've been pulling nice. it from the library so I got the first three volumes and I just hit the point I just got the one out today I haven't I, I'm most of the way through volume two volume three picks up with the Austin Brick dailies in it too so it's going to start getting weird because it's not going to be just Alex Raymond yeah, I can, after I, that, but I, I can speak for the uh, the Central Ohio, the Columbus Ohio contingent. This actually may be true. A recommendation for for others in other parts of the uh, of the country and the world. Your local library, oh, your public library, may very well have dozens and dozens and scores and hundreds of trade paperbacks. Yep, it yep. is a great place to find. The hardest comics. part, the hardest part with Columbus Public Library is getting a hold of them before someone steals them. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not making that up. I was at a local comic shop one day, which will remain nameless, uh, although it has hole in the title. And uh, a dude walks in with a giant stack of books that all had like the 741.5 Dewey Decimal <laughs> stickers on the spines and stuff. And the the owner's like looking around. He's like, he's like. I, are these former? I can't take library 
things. He's like, oh, come on, man. Come on. I talked oh, to you on man. the phone. I talked to you on the phone. He's like, all right, look, just just put them behind the counter. Bring for them around back. Put them around. Bring yeah. them out back. Oh, and so geez. they sat and, like, went through them. And, like, yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, and, and then, like, I noticed from then on I would go to, like, I couldn't get a hold of, like, that uh, thing at Ditko Action Heroes was gone. There was a whole bunch of, like, books oh, I know wow. I had checked out before that were gone, and I didn't think they'd been, like, discarded. So I think uh, they are they are stolen en masse by people on occasion. I was going to mention, if you have old trade paperbacks that you are looking to get rid of or just want to clear shelf space, donate them to your local library because they'll yeah. put them into circulation. Absolutely. Um, or if you're a dork like me, you order a couple extra copies of a Firestorm trade when it's coming out <laughs> and give some to your library. So I, uh, I, I discovered Kyle Baker's Cowboy Wally show uh, at the public library, and it made me a huge Kyle Baker fan. I'd seen his work in, like, those Disney Dick Tracy okay. books, although those were weird because Disney had someone go in and redraw Dick Tracy and Breathless Mahoney's faces to be Warren Beatty and Madonna. <laughs> he drew, he drew right. the actual characters, okay. and they were like, but Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy, and went and had somebody ghost him. Oh, no. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I found it. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read the Cowboy Wally show. It is freaking hysterical. It's really weird. Kyle Baker's but, Plastic Man is really, really funny. Plastic, Kyle Baker's Plastic Man, the funniest thing to me about Kyle Baker's Plastic Man is it's the newer Kyle Baker, like, very Chuck Jonesy yeah. kind of cartoony yeah. style. But the funniest thing to me is that Plastic Man is the one thing that isn't cartoony. Right. <laughs> he, he, he's very, like, traditionally superhero proportioned, and everybody else is, like, a big balloon. Yeah. Did you, did you ever see the collection for that? It had a plastic cover. Which was great. It was very oh, clever. Wow. So, yeah. My stepson got that out of the library. I didn't even know. And he's like, this is the greatest thing. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, had a, I had a Kyle Baker Joker watch oh, yeah. all through high school. Well, that is, you know, right around cool. Batmania, 1989, all that. So, yeah, I love Kyle Baker stuff. Oh. And and it, the alarm was set for your daily getting beat up. Is that what every... <laughs> The... It was it was a, it was a one with hands. There was no alarm. It's time for a pantsing. Right. Yeah, I didn't have that much. <laughs> that's that's how Russell got his angry pants. I have a Lone Ranger. Oh. A Lone Ranger watch. I have a Lone Ranger watch. That's with awesome. A Dell Comics Lone Ranger cover in the thing. Oh. Yeah, that's nice. cool. I just picked up some Lone Ranger comics from uh, the quarter bin. Yeah. Lone You're Ranger Tonto from thank you from Tops. Uh, was it Joe Lansdale? Isn't that right? It's Joe Lansdale and Tim True. Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, and I had read his uh, Zorro, which made me want to get these. I loved his his Zorro comics. Uh, it's the same creative team from those uh, Vertigo Jonah Hex. Those books. were damn good. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, and it's it's in a similar vein. It's also weird western. Okay. Instead of just being straight yeah. up Lone Ranger. Very cool. You'll enjoy that. So, yeah. See, guys, this is like we're on air. You, you have yeah. to come up with material. You don't just Keep stare back. off into space. I'm sorry. It's not like well, when I, you... I'm sorry. I, I wasn't listening. I was thinking about how great the Lone Ranger and Tonto series was and then <laughs> how Dynamite or Boom or whoever right. it was who took it looked really beautiful with those John uh, Cassidy covers yeah. or whatever they were, but then inside weren't I, quite as good. I was really turned so, off by those. Yeah, I, I didn't that. like them as... Yeah, and I stopped riding. I, I love me some Lone Ranger. And I've just always liked the Lone Ranger. Not, so, not what I and Tonto. I always, I don't know, I go for those, like, you know, <laughs> dynamic got, duos. I've know. got an issue with Tonto. Like the Dell Tonto. Oh, yeah. It's sweet. Yeah. Because, man, it, you know, he even gets beat up in his own comic. Oh. It's true. <laughs> He's it's a true. dwarf. Well, in his, in his comic, Tonto's series lasted one issue less than, Ta- than the Lone Ranger's Horses comic. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Lone Ranger's famous horse, Hyo Silver, from Dell Comics, lasted yeah. one more issue than the Lone Ranger's faithful Indian companion. Well, but, it, but in Silver's defense, that was when Rex the Wonder Dog and all those, that is Detective true. Chimp and all those things were catching on. Rin Tin Tin. Champion so, and Trigger had know, their own comics. And at that it. time, America had a definite, you know... Trigger sold better than Dale Evans, that's actually Problem true. with minorities. So. Where was, where was uh, Lone Ranger's girlfriend, Lois Lane? Yeah. Um, I want, I want, you know, I really, no, I've, 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 I've been meaning to do this. I've been meaning to do this for years, and I never have. That's awful, Russell. I've been meaning to do this for years. <laughs> is what never, I never have. I always wanted to do, like, fake covers for Superman's boss, Perry White. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Or, or Superman's girlfriend's, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane's rival, Lana Lang. <laughs> I thought that would be, like, awesome. Superman's other pal, Pete Ross. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah. That'd work. Yeah, yeah. I would not buy that comic. No. No? Okay. No. I'm not a Superman fan. I never liked the, the heroes with the, the superpowers, like the, the Superman, the Hulk, the Thor, the... Aquaman. I always liked the second tier, or even, dare you say it, third tier, <coughs> um, oh, you know, like Flash or... Aquaman's like Dare fourth, I say Firestorm. Firestorm. I always like liked them. Buddy. First tier. First tier. Who, who put Firestorm yeah. in the league? Jerry Superman, Conway. Superman, yeah, <laughs> Super Dick, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So, no, I, mean, I gotta say, but... I gotta say, no, no. Superman, or not Superman. I'm sorry. Aquaman and Green Arrow have got to be like default second tier because they're part of the Big Five. When you have two characters who started in the Golden Age and survived the yes. superhero purge mm-hmm. uninterrupted, right? I'm sorry. They are by definition secondary characters because. They're secondary, second tier. Okay, second, secondary third. colors, too. I'm saying they're not third tier. Yes, Superman, Wonder Woman, primary colors. Aquaman and Green Arrow, secondary colors. What about Batman? Batman's neutrals. He's blue. No, Batman yes. is. Yes, he is. got <laughs> Robin, who's the other. He's blue. Primary colors. And Robin's primary colors, too. Yeah, and, and they were joined colors. at the hip for Robin, years and Robin's, years. Robin's complimentary. Robin's got, got, uh, yeah. got red and green going on. He's, 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 he straddles the line. He's the Wonder Boy. So, kid sidekicks. All right. Kid, All right. Sidekicks. kid sidekicks. The thing about Aqualad kid sidekicks, <clears throat> no, is here's, lame. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Aquaman's and Firestorm part, boy. I, uh, <laughs> Firestorm should have a kid sidekick. That'd be great. <laughs> Some cute who sets himself on fire. <laughs> yeah. the, kid from, yeah. the kid from the Fantastic Four. Toro. Toro. Pyro, Pyro the match boy. Well, yeah, Toro is a good yeah. example. Sorry, go ahead. One, no, one, no, 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 no. Okay, so point. kid sidekicks. Kid sidekicks. You know, like Robin. Robin has staying power. And the reason Robin has staying power is this. Think about all the other kid sidekicks. Speedy. Toro, uh, Bucky, Bucky to a lesser degree. Bucky's I'm just kind sure of a straight going, up Robin ripoff. TNT, but but like nah 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 nah. Dan the Dynamite. Dan the right. Dynamite and TNT. What I, what I'm saying is this: like most of these kid sidekicks, especially from the late Golden and early Silver Age, first of all, they were imitations of Robin. Yep. But secondly, they're a tiny version. They're a mini me to right. their hero. Yeah. Right. Robin is not a mini me to Batman. Robin is the missing piece of Batman's psyche. Nowadays, but was no, he a back then? Even then, because Batman, Batman, you know, until they introduced Robin, which, by the way, guys, for those of you who keep going on about Batman was originally dark and broody, that was 11 months. Right. 11, right. It didn't even yeah. last a year before he had the colorful kid sidekick, so get off your high Frank Miller horse. But he, <laughs> but he, sensational character he did go to Transylvania. He did go to Transylvania to fight 
zombie werewolf yeah, because, because vampires. Because Bob Kane is a so. terrible writer. That's why. <laughs> That's true. So, so <laughs> Bill Finger co-created Batman. That's so true. Hey, he's getting credit for it now. And, and what, what I'm saying is this: like, like even then, you know, Batman's still like the big fist-punching guy. All in, he's dressed like a scary creature of the night. And then there's, you know, the little kid dressed like he just popped out of Sherwood Forest. Okay. They're, they're, they're a ah. team. He's, 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 the, he's the happy, he makes the bad jokes, he, 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 he fights dirtier than Batman. He in completes a lot of ways. Him. He completes <laughs> him. He does complete him, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Speedy, unnecessary. Well, he's there cut from whole cloth. He, you know, Robin shows up later. Robin shows up 11 months in. A lot of these guys have, have sidekicks the second they arrive, well, what and about, it's because of Robin. What about Wonder Girl? Unnecessary? Unnecessary. Rob, Wonder Girl, now, I know you're thinking of, like, the later Teen Titans, where it's a big, like, you know, whatever. I'm Wonder not even Girl's listening really... to you anymore. I'm thinking of Donna Troy. See, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. But that Wonder Girl was later. The original Silver Age Wonder Girl is, it's like, it's like uh, Casper's cousin Spooky. It's really, she's, like, unnecessary. <laughs> she's you know, nothing but you know to round out the Teen Titans. You know the original story there, right? Wonder nah, Girl? Nah. She didn't exist. Well, well, I know that part. She was the stories of Wonder Woman as a team. Uh, right. Oh, okay. And the so accident, like the Superboy. And, and then Bob yeah. Haney added her, or somebody did add her <laughs> to the Teen Titans. Wouldn't surprise me. Because they're like, oh, we need a girl character. Add that girl. We saw her on a comic the other day. Yeah. It's like Super Baby. It's the same freaking person as Super Diana Baby. when she was young. Did you ever see that Kyle Baker thing with Super, the adventures of Super Baby's uh, yeah, babysitter? babysitter? That's fun. <laughs> that was awesome. I can't no, remember her name, but it was two L's. I don't remember It's in the Bizarro... One of the Bizarro it's, collections. Yeah, it's either oh, okay. Bizarro or... I think it's World Bizarro Comics. I think it is Bizarro Comics. It's not it's Bizarro. It's one or the other. I, it's I the have first both. One. I don't remember which it's one It's the first it one. That's some crazy stuff. And that's a good thing. So we were reading... Um, do a road trip, and I bought my daughter some comics. And one of them I bought her was the Supergirl Adventure, Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade. And in the comic, she is uh, becomes best friends with Lex Luthor's little sister, Lena Hartthul or whatever. Right. Yeah. Thrall, Thrall. Right? And my daughter's yeah. re- and I'm driving, and my daughter wants to read the comic to me, so she's reading it aloud to me. And when she said Lena Thule, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and and I, I didn't want to spoil it for her. So we waited until she got through, because there's like six issues or whatever. And we waited until she got through a couple issues, and finally she's like, Daddy, I know what is going on. Why are you snickering? Why are you laughing, Daddy? Finally, I told her it blew her mind. <laughs> Just totally boom. It was awesome. <laughs> Love those kind of moments. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out who Lena Thoreau is. is that, She's that, actually Lex's like, sister. Lex's yeah. sister. Yeah. But they spelled her last name backwards. Because uh, they didn't want... And that fools everybody. <laughs> it did. Yes. It fooled an eight-year-old. <laughs> O'Toole. Was the, the, that's the bad guy from that uh, super Batman of Planet X or whatever. Oh, yeah. God. O'Toole. See, anything that Grant Morrison has touched and brought back in a weird way, I get... Uh, yeah. really oh, I, was, I, was, I was just thinking of the wonderful Brave and the Bold episode with it. Oh, okay. That was good stuff. Zany. Yes. Oh, you zany, need to have zany. some of that. You need to have some of that in the comics. On on the comics menu, you yeah. need some zany. Yeah. It can't all be brooding and serious and important. No. Yeah. Well, and if I may, I, that's one of the reasons I always liked the Legions of Superheroes because right. it positioned that the world was not going to blow itself up and that we would all get along and that not only that but we white black Asian people would get along with you green purple orange people <laughs> and that that was nice I like that and then five years later when it was a little bit more oops we did kind of blow shit up but we're gonna fix it it's like really you don't have to be dark and dreary and you're you're a light in the over in the window of the Frankenstein place but it's uh, let's get over 
over there. Let's not be dark and dreary all the time. Now, if you so, reread those comics, if you reread those, oh, I don't, it's, you don't have to move over here. I'm loud. Anyway, if you reread those five years later, compared to modern comics, they don't read that dark at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I will reread them now that they, I, I'm going to. Yeah, I will read the reread the five year later series. Russell's as very politely as possible trying not to pitch, but he should, for the Legion of Super Bloggers. What's that? <laughs> I think I've talked about it enough on these shows. Hey, please tell us more about the Legion of Super I can't I can't read this note. Super bloggers. Okay, Sorry, thank my, you. My hand was shaky when I wrote that part. I need a die mountain. There's a brand new blog out there that's called the Legion of Super Bloggers at Legion of Superbloggers.blogspot.com. <laughs> I'm not part of that one either. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a kick-ass Green Arrow blog that just stopped. Yeah, well, you know, things to do. Had like to what? Get, get laid and make chili, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> that's, 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 that's about as good that's a very Oliver Queen of you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Dinah would approve. Yes. Your wife's name's not Dinah, is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> okay, good. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But Amy always liked the entries that were about either Green Arrow getting laid or making chili. Those were her favorite uh, things. So that I always, I, I always enjoyed the Trick Arrow Tuesdays. I, 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 I'm torn though whether my favorite is the. Uh, Tell them where to find this mythical site. Did you speak of? Oh God, what is it? It's like trickarrows.blogspot.com. I, think. I don't it's know. I stopped, I, I stopped typing. I you are it. You are it. You are L in a couple years ago. <sighs> Was it uh, the the uh, dummy cat arrow? I think the fake cat arrow. That's what it was actually called. The fake cat arrow. And the mummy arrow. I like the mummy arrow. It was a cute little miniature sarcophagus drawn by Jack Kirby, and like it, <laughs> it like let loose a wrapping that wound up these bad guys. Is that next like, to his a shark repellent arrow? Yeah, and yeah, his... The guy's got like a glue arrow and a bola arrow and some, and a rope arrow already. I don't know why he needed one more entangling arrow and net arrow. I, I, uh, I, then, I uh, have a question about Green Arrow. The, the, uh, the how does he fit all of those arrows too. into his quiver? I mean, seriously. The same person they who fold. made the Batman belt made that. <laughs> oh. My, you know, um, right, just, I think it was just before Identity Crisis, Brad Meltzer wrote a run on Green Arrow. That was good. Uh, yeah. And I love, there's a part where uh, Green Arrow and Batman are doing something together, and they're flying, and, and Ollie says something like, oh, I think that's in the, the Arrow Cave. And Bruce just very casually goes, Christ, Ollie, did you ever have an original idea? <laughs> now, now, when you read those Silver Age Green Arrow, it is amazing how exactly Batman it was. From yeah. the Arrow car, the Arrow cave. In his the defense, Arrow plane. plane I will tell you. That's funny. pretty clever. That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. The Arrow plane is funny. But yeah. the thing is, here's the thing. The Arrow plane was the original name for the Arrow car. Because it planed to the air, and it was uh, oh, yeah, it was yeah. a ah. super a super streamlined <laughs> racing car. It right. looks like an actual car, the Golden Arrow, that won the land speed right. test in like the twenties or yeah, something. That's right. And uh, and and it's not that far behind the Batmobile that he has the Arrow car because he has it like when he debuts the aeroplane car, whatever. Um, but what's funny about it is he doesn't have the cave at first. He just has a trophy case in his apartment. Yeah. Okay. Roy Roy and Roy and Ollie have an apartment with a trophy case in it. Full of crime trophies. Um, <laughs> so when people come over, they don't ask about that. Apparently, no. <laughs> nobody ever comes to visit yeah, them. Um, they do have an arrow oh, signal. Sure. They do have an arrow signal. It's a big flaming green arrow that comes up in the sky like a flare or something, like a Fantastic oh, Four signal. I'm pretty sure Ollie was bringing chicks back there every night, though. <laughs> One would think. <laughs> Roy, if there's an arrow hanging off the door, don't, don't, don't come my, and knock it. It's my don't come and knock an arrow. Right, my quiver. <laughs> so my, taking it out of the quiver, Roy. <laughs> wow. Well, we used to, a friend of mine and I uh, came up with the getting it on arrow, 
which you know you like it it, it dims the lights and then turns on some bare light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because oh. there are times when he's got everything on the end of Nero for no reason, like a tape recorder here. I'm like, wait, wait. and he's like, you know, holding it out, like recording stuff. He's not shooting it at anybody. I don't know what that's for. It's really um, just a recorder on a stick at that point. Yes, yes. But the Arrow Cave was the not... boom mic. The Arrow Cave came later. The Arrow Cave came later, but I have to say, it was during an era when everybody in the Silver Age had a cave. Aquaman, it doesn't Aquaman, Aquaman had, a had a cave. Green Arrow had a cave. The Justice League met in a freaking cave. Wonder Woman, did Wonder Woman have a cave? I don't think Wonder Woman had a cave. I think it's a dude thing. Okay. Dude thing? Man now, cave. Now, Green Lantern, he had also, a cave? Also, though, also, though. Green Lantern. No, he had Batman Green Lantern, California. Green Lantern did not have a cave. Your theory is false. But Batman Batman wasn't the first guy with a cave. Batman probably took his cave from Zorro, but the Phantom had a cave before Batman That's showed true. up. Okay. You know, this started off as like a fun nerd conversation, mm-hmm. but you've turned it into like a scholarly thing that's... That's what I do. <laughs> This he is, works this with is, children. Yes. Scary. No. I lecture uh, uh, anyone who happens yeah. to get, come too close. <laughs> I, so. I actually, I'm afraid what your latchkey kids hear from you, you know. Uh, what are you going to talk about today, Mr. Bias? Well, did you know that Green Arrow was not the first character to have a cave? Man, those kids don't oh. give a shit about comics. <laughs> have, have you seen uh, Daddy Daycare? I've been visioning yeah. that scene with Steve Zahn. You know, he's talking to all the kids and you know, the lightsabers and all that. Be perfect. Yes, yes. Well, they play with, they have Star Wars cards. Like a deck of cards with like Star, but like half of them are from the the newer ones, oh, and I'm always uh, just like, yeah, yeah. bah. You know, <laughs> we don't need do. all the clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, all the spades are like are uh, are Jedi knights, which is kind of okay. Cool. That's pretty awesome. Yes, but there's something to that, you see, because the spade took the place of the swords because playing cards came from tarot cards, and the tarot card houses one of them is swords, which is what became spades. So. The Jedi Knights, who all use swords, are all the spades, which used to be the swords. I really thought Alan would be the one to bore us. But see, there you go. That is meta nerdy. <laughs> That's one word for it. Meta nerdy. I, I met I met three nerdies today. There you go. Actually, I, I knew so, one of you. Yeah, somebody else yeah, talk. I'm, I'm, I'm hawking this. Let's yeah. go. I think we're gonna. What are we at? Thirty minutes. I think we're gonna wrap it up here. All right. <laughs> Now that we have the rhythm instrument shells with the sun faces finished, it's time to add the filling. It's these dried beans. They'll make the rattling sound when we're done. Next, put some glue on the rim of the plate with the beans in it, and then put the other plate on top of it. Put the rattler aside to dry overnight, and you've got a terrific rhythm instrument that's fun anytime. Remember, all you need are two paper plates, some dried beans, white glue, and some markers to decorate the plate. So, Michael, Bailey... Yes. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, so I did something this summer that I've always wanted to do. What is the Library of Congress famous for to nerds? Uh, it has comic books. More specific? It has like Action Comics number one and stuff like that? It has the world's largest collection of comic books. Yes. It's famous for that. So we were in uh, D.C. with the family. And we were going on. We went, you know, we saw the monuments, all the blah, blah, blah. I went to go see the Library of Congress, which is, you know, gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's really pretty. Mm-hmm. And then once we're there... In the guidebook, in big, bold letters, it says the world's largest collection of comics. And then my wife goes, do you want to go see him? And I'm like, <gasps> yes, I do. <laughs> so uh, I went and I was like, hey, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, the, I understand you guys have blah, 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 blah. And everyone seemed to not know this. Like, it's in the guidebooks, right? It's like literally the biggest, boldest thing in the guidebook. And they're like, oh, I think we do. Yeah. I'm not really sure where. And I'm like, 
you're the information. I didn't say this, but I'm like, you're the information desk. So I'm like, okay, fine. So we did a little research. We figured out it's in this other satellite building. Okay. So we go over there. And it was, the guy was nice enough to tell us how to get there easy, so we end up in the bowels of Washington, D.C., of the Library of Congress, in sort of the employee-only tunnels that go from one building to the other. It was really kind of cool. And the kid's like, Daddy, we shouldn't be down here. I'm like, they let us come down here. It was like this big, long argument. Shut up. Right, shut up. I'm your dad. So we get over, and we go in. And it's not like a public building. It is. It's technically a public building, but it's more like an office building. And truth be told, they don't want tourists doing this. So, uh, I decided I'm just going to soldier through. So, went in, I had to apply to be a researcher, and got my Library of Congress ID. I am now on the Library of Congress email list, and I get emails from them all the time. And I went in to where the comic books were, and I walked around for a little bit. It was very quiet and very serious, and... Yeah, I really shouldn't have been doing any of this. But anyway, it's not like illegal, but, but it's then just... Why, do they, why would they have it in the... I don't know. The, ...their promotional information if they didn't want you to do I, it? I don't understand. Which is so, probably why the people in the information desk didn't know anything about it. Right, exactly. Well, I go in, and I do find one little tiny glass display case with about, mm, I don't know, 12 comic books. And uh, I can state wholeheartedly, or, or factually, that is not the world's largest collection of comic books. 12, I can beat it. Um, anyway, it did have some very old Batman. It was all Batman stuff. Basically, it was, Batman. It was like a little display case, Batman's 75th anniversary, and yeah. some really old detective comics. So, uh, that's all I could find. So, I'm like, huh. So, I go up and ask the guy at the circulation desk, who is of no help whatsoever. He didn't want to help me, because I think he's, he could see through my clever disguise that I was just a tourist. And uh, he's like, well, um, the way this works is really the only people they want doing going through those are like people writing articles... Researchers doing books, da 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 da. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, where are they anyway? And he's like, oh, well, they're most of them are off-site. Some are back in the vault. You have to pre, you have to request them in advance, and it will take a few days to get to them because they're not organized very well. Then I was thinking in the back of my head, here's a job for me. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say that I will do this for free. Right, I will do this for well, maybe not for free, but I will do this. <laughs> but uh, so, if your Action Comics number one goes missing. So be it. That was my yearly payment. Right. Have you, well, I'll come back to that. Hold on. So that was the that was the end of that. And okay. um, I walked around, like I said. I have my ID. I saw a few old comic books. But if you're in Washington, D.C. and you want to go see the world's largest collection of comic books, you're not going to, my friend. It's so, <laughs> kind of so, disappointing. Speaking of Action Comics number one, did you see the 3.2 million. Did it sell? 3.2 million. Good. Nice. And you think eBay takes what about fifteen percent usually? Something. So they're, so they're really. skimming that three, you know, four hundred fifty thousand right off the top. Uh, you know, I it's funny because when we were talking about it on Radio KL Live, Steve, you know, did the whole story and he goes, "So, Mike, did you get it yet?" <laughs> and not missing a beat, I'm like, "No, I was sniped right there at the end. It pissed me off like really bad. I'm sorry. You took a drink when I told that joke because <laughs> you only bid three point one million. Yeah, yeah. But 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 here's the thing because I've really thought about this from time to time. You know, I I love Superman and I have a pretty extensive Superman collection. Um, oldest one goes back to like 1963 at this point. Oh, okay. But really, I have like everything from 1970 until today. So Nerd. yeah. Uh, yeah, screw you, Mister. I run a Firestorm blog. 
Why is that a problem? I don't understand. I would make fun of... Keep in mind, there are many match heads listening to you right now. There's nothing... We we are legion. We will rise up and revolt. (laughs) Meaning there is exactly a hundred of you and no more. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm in that legion, so it's okay. Hey, guys, write write to views from the long box. Start your email with, dear asshole. I, I I poke fun at Aquaman, but it's getting Rob on a DVD extra. So that's true, you know? <laughs> and it's too easy to poke at holes at Aquaman. Yeah, so. I actually I had to take up for Aquaman earlier today at really? one of the panels okay. I was on. So, but you know, and and I'd like to get more of the Silver Age and just have you know like a pretty big Superman collection. My favorite character, you know, to, to actually have the issues and see the ads and yeah. all the back matter. I don't want a copy of Action Comics number one because one, it's a responsibility. That is not just a back issue. That's not something... I mean, to be fair, if I ever got one, I would, like, bag and board it and just put it in the first box. Like, that's what the collection leads off with. Right. That's true. But, um... I've got actually got much number one. But you it's, have, it's written by Grant Morrison. <laughs> it's a first printing. Yeah, it's a, I have both covered. Um, <laughs> but, no, but seriously, uh, it, it, it's a responsibility, because that's not just... A back issue in your collection. Correct. That is a piece of history. Yes. I mean, it's because, and there's only like I think fifty left. Yeah. Of the over one hundred thousand that they printed, because they went back to press with it. Okay. Uh, it sold that well. Superman was like a huge success, like right away. And it's funny to think that they didn't put him back on the cover until like the seventh or eighth issue. <laughs> so if you get Action Comics number two, it's like some Mountie. <laughs> or something like that. I'm getting that wrong. Michael Bradley and John Wilson are screaming at me right now. They're um, screaming at their Zonophones. At their Zonophones. I, I want to figure out how to call this the Zonophones. Oh, Shag's got the hookup. I don't know um, that. I'm going to work on it. Give me oh, yeah, 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 I guess You I, keep talking, though, while I do But this. No, but seriously, I mean, it's just, it. it's great that it's selling for that much, because now, for the moment, um, it's, more, it's worth more than... Detective Comics number 27, because there's been that race over the last couple of years. Oh, look at that. Um, I just fixed Mike's problem. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, it's it's neat to see it going for that much, and especially that specific copy. Because if I'm remembering the story correctly, somebody bought that like back in 1938, put it in a chest, and that's where it stayed. Like, the pages are white. Like, like, and that's why it's a nine-point something. So it's a yeah. nine-point-something CGC... And we can argue about the bullshit rating of... Uh, well, unfortunately, it's Slab now. It's sla- well, no, but you can open those. Oh, you can? Yes. I, oh. I found this out recently that Slab comics can be open. They just don't want you to. Well, it probably has a seal on it. Yeah. Like, once you split it, it's no longer the 9.8. Yeah, it's, exactly. Okay. But if you wanted to read the book, it's not like it's like um, uh, laminated in yeah. there or anything. But still, that that's a piece of history. That's that's something that is is for the ages. Superman has become, you know, even though he's not as popular today, 76 years of being around and being this worldwide icon, I mean, I just got, I'd have to put it in a safety deposit box, and then I would have to trust that the bank isn't going to screw me over, and all all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm not saying this to be mean. It's not like having Firestorm number one, which is pretty easy to find. Oh, no, it's about the same. Okay. No, I understand what you mean. I, um... I, and maybe this is just the old me. I would rather read something than yeah. spend three point two million dollars on something. Yeah, you know? I mean, like the, the the Silver Age books I bought 
today. I cracked them open and leafed through yeah. them just to see them because they have like funky ads. Yeah. And you were talking about the smell because there is a smell on old comics. So I uh, I held a copy of Fantastic Four number five. Is that right? Doctor Doom's first appearance. Mm-hmm. And it was when I worked for a comic book store. And so, you know what I did on my lunch hour? You read it. I went in the back room and I read it. I'd already read that story before in reprint form, but I wanted to read that comic book. And so I did. I sat back there and read uh, Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom's first appearance. And it was lovely. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like we've got these things in reprint form now, in in various, I mean, digital... Live action, you know, like, like live action, <laughs> action comics number one, live action. But you know, we have like you can do essentials. Yep. Uh, for the until they stop publishing them, which they're doing now. They've got this epic, yeah, collection line, which I'm not too sold on yet. Yeah. I, I know at least one of our fellow podcasters that's incredibly pissed <laughs> uh, that they're not doing it anymore. But there's still something about having it. But with with like, I mean, even if it was like Action Comics number five, it'd be like, yeah, I'd buy Action Comics number five. I mean, who cares? But it's just that that particular one. It's like well, a Detective Twenty Seven. Just gonna say, it's like Detective Twenty Seven. Yeah. You know, it's like Marvel Mystery Comics number one, which is the first appearance of Human Torch and Submariner. I, I don't think I'd want to own Hulk one eighty or one eighty one either. I would like now just to sell it and you know well, sell it, sure. But I mean, I don't but, think I'd. I don't know. I. I yeah. It's weird because you know we're both collectors, and we're both still hunting back issues and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm a collector. Really? I feel like I'm a reader, not a collector. Like, the this, this shit I buy now, I don't even bag and board them anymore. Okay. Just throw them in a box. And then I don't even organize them anymore. I should. And rarely, and I mean rarely, am I hunting for anything anymore. Well, it's funny because there, there was a time... Every time I say that, I think I'm about to start singing a Travis Tread song. But... There was a time where I would just, if, like, I was at a 50-cent box, it's like, uh, ooh, look, you know, cable, number 5 to 57. Right. 50 cents a piece. I'm just going to buy that. Yeah. I'm much more selective. Like, I'm working on my Superman collection. Uh, I'm working on my Green Lantern and Flash collections as well. And But it's, like, specific things. Like, yeah. you know, it, and it's usually only DC. Like, I rarely buy Marvel because I have most of the Marvel that I already want, and I'm selling off the rest. So I feel like I am primarily a reader, but there are still things that I am looking for and collecting. Yeah. So it's kind of this weird... I mean, it's not like 10 years ago where it was just like, ooh, just dive into that 50 cent bin. Get everything you want. Or quarter bin or dollar right. bin or $2 bin or I th- whatever. I think, I think the last thing I really hunted was Aquaman when I was buying like all his 70s appearances. you know. And, I, and once I got them all, it was just kind of like, I'm done now. <laughs> there is that kind of depression, though, when you come to the end of the the end of the road. It's just like, you know, I, I, I keep saying with Superman, I'm going to go this far and no more. And then I see something really cheap and suddenly the... you got to fill in those gaps now? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to buy you like a Superman from the 40s just to piss you off. You'll be like, damn it! So, um, got a DC comic for you. Okay. Um, and you're going to go, well, nah, blah, 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 blah. Warlord. I have had no interest in Warlord. I'm not a sword and sorcery guy. I'm not a sword and sandal guy. Any of that stuff. But Professor Allen uh, Middleton, who I like to accidentally call Professor Allen Quartermain. Um, he's, he's, talks- had, he's had two wives. <laughs> and there's many lovers. <laughs> he talks about uh, a Warlord a lot. And Mike Grell's rocks. We know that. And I was at a Quartermain. When I was hanging out with Rob Kelly in Philly, and they had some warlords in there, so I bought them. They're so freaking good. 
I have about 30 or 40 issues. Have you read any of them? No, because I want to get the rest. Don't! Don't just, just pick... Here's another... The thing I found out about those books... Just pick it up and read the damn thing. Really? Yeah. It's not like you need to know everything. I'm sure probably some of them, but it's comics from the 80s. If you need to know something, they tell you in the comic. That is true. Every issue I've read, there's none contiguous, and I understood every single one of them. Now, if it's a DC book from like the past 40 years, I'm, pre- I'm pretty much not going to judge you for buying it. I... Well, I, I never dug this kind of stuff, but man, I like Well, you it. gave me this whole, like, blah, 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 blah thing, like, I'm going to make fun of you for buying Warlord. Well, no, I thought, I figured you'd be like, well, I don't like Sword and Sound. I'm not going to. You know, it's funny because. That's why I, I like al- Bailey impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that, but then there's always an exception. Yeah. It's like, I don't really like sci fi, but I'll read the crap out of some Legion. Yeah. <laughs> and Legion is nothing but sci fi. You know, it's, it's like, true. I don't like Sword and Sorcery, but you know, Warlord looks pretty damn good. Yeah. Micronauts? Awesome. Yeah. If you so, want sci fi. So, it's just that kind of thing. I mean, it's just... I really shouldn't say, I don't like X, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you want to say. Like, so, you don't like the X-Men? Is that uh, what you're saying? Um, no, I still like the X-Men. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't hated, started hating the X-Men. Okay. I'm very selective about X-Men that I want to read. I don't hate them. I just have... The eras I want to read, which yeah, is Chris like, Claremont, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. Yeah, it's just like Chris Claremont and maybe some of the Roy Thomas Neil Adams stuff. Well, just because okay. it looks interesting. Well, it's, yeah, <laughs> Neil Adams, so. But, but no, seriously, it's just like, I have lost that I need to have everything mentality. And I'm so much better for it. It's, yep. like, it's like an addict coming out the other side almost. Yeah. Where you have the moment of clarity, where you wake up. You know, surrounded by comics yeah. that you know you're never going to read. <laughs> Why? Why do I own Youngblood? Ah! What happened? Why do I? Well, I, I did buy the hardcover. Oh, I know you had it. Has you, the, you had a weird sickness with yeah, Youngblood for a while. There. I don't. <laughs> Andy's about to cover it on Hey Kids. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to hear the across the across the pond view. Those who didn't have to keep, live through it. I keep coming back to the guy that scripted Youngblood number one is now a VP at DC. Who's that? Hank Canals. Who's really? their like, uh, marketing guy. Did he script it the first time or he scripted it the second no, time? No, he scripted it the first time. Who scripted it the second time? Uh, Joe Casey oh, okay. actually re-scripted it. And, I, and I've and i kind of read through it because that's what that hardcover was all about. It was okay. all the like him re-scripting it. And I now that's why I kind of want to read it just to see if the dialogue is any better because... The artwork only looks better because it's printed on better paper and has computer coloring. So it's just like, but you can't polish that right. enough. You know? That's right. So. You can only make a turd shine so much. <laughs> Although Rob Liefeld's a very nice man. Yes, and and I and I have his app. Oh, that's right. Did we record that, or was that just a conversation? That we was had? just a conversation okay. we had. Rob Liefeld has an app. I was telling Michael how frightening it is to me that Rob Liefeld's Twitter feed. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, he's got a perspective on the comics industry that only comes from, I from, mean, to be from fair. From not giving a shit anymore. Well, not giving a shit anymore, but also he failed and kept coming back. So it's not like Extreme Studios folded and he went off in obscurity. He came back with Awesome, and that didn't work out. So he came back with something else and started working for Marvel again. I don't, I don't think Extreme folded. I think they fired him. No, Extreme was his label under Image. Right. So I think they fired him. Uh, but that, but he, because, and one of the things was he was also doing the Maximum line. Yeah. At the same time, so all of his books shifted to Maximum, and then he did Awesome with Jeff Loeb, and then their right. fi- their financial guy pulled out. Yeah. That's the only reason Awesome folded is because their their backer left. Okay. Because uh, apparently it was doing very well. 
Uh, well, everything was written by Alan Moore, so well, I mean, it was the late nineties. He's he, again. He apparently, from what I understand, he is one of the most enthusiastic guys in the comic book industry. Well, you can tell that from his work. I yeah. mean, he's got a lot of energy. That doesn't mean it's all going to be like gold. But I appreciate noble failures more right. than you know someone being out there and being pretentious. Well, so. I tried to because I like Rob as a person as much. Oh, I shouldn't say I don't know him. I mean, I have hung out with him for about four minutes of my life. That was it at a bar. But uh, beyond that, uh, I like sort of the persona of Rob. So I tried his Deathstroke. I did not like it. I did not like it at all. The previous run on Deathstroke was actually really, really good by... Yeah, who was it doing? Was it Kyle Miller? No, that's not right. There, there's a weird question. Kyle Higgins, maybe? Kyle Higgins, yes. Yeah. There's a weird question for you. How do you feel about Deathstroke really not being a Titans villain anymore? How do I feel like Deathstroke getting an ongoing series simply because he's an Arrow? Um... That's weird. Yeah. To me. He's not like to, to, to other people, don't care. Like you could ask people who got into the character because I of see. Arrow, I and see I don't what you're think saying. they and I don't think they care. Yeah. I didn't but, think about it that way. You're right. He's not a Titans villain anymore, and his previous history is wiped out. Yes. So, so he was never a Titans villain. That's exactly. interesting. So he's a badass assassin, and I guess he's now a, a falls in the Arrowverse, huh? Yeah, well, to be fair, when when Winnick was writing the book he brought Deathstroke in as the main antagonist. In Green Arrow? Yeah, right after... one. It was during one year later. Uh, okay. Because Ali went off to this island and started learning badass martial arts moves and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, as much as people want to point to like the Green Arrow Year One story that came out like a couple years ago yeah. and everything that happened after that, a lot of what Arrow was really came from Mike Grell and Judd Winnick. Interesting. <laughs> so... When you really chart the line back. You know how much they point to that uh, series is uh, Ain't Diggle. So. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, Carl and Bob, the sci-fi janitors, were making fun of in Aww. one of their skits. So. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up here. Mike, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Ah, views from longbox.com. They can find me at fortressofbailey2.com and Superman homepage. <laughs> and occasionally, Rob and, and Shag are very nice enough to have me on the uh, the fire and water shows. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Let's meet the teams. For ABC, the captain of the team, Gabe Kaplan. Welcome back, Cotter. Darlene Carr, Streets of San Francisco. Linda Carter, Wonder Woman. Farrah Fawcett Majors, one of Charlie's angels. Dick Hatch, Streets of San Francisco. Bobby Hedges, Welcome Back Cotter. Ron Howard, Happy Days. Hal Linden, Barney Miller. And Penny Marshall, Laverne and Shirley. John Shuck, Holmes and Yo-Yo.